morning church we're wrapping up a series that I have been calling uncommon and the reason for that is probably fairly obvious these are uncommon times that I think calls for an uncommon response especially from those who have received an uncommon grace from an anything but common God today's message is entitled uncommon generosity and to get started I just want to ask you think of a time when someone was uncommonly generous in your life, someone who truly went above and beyond anything you could have expected. I'm not about moving past, oh, that's, that's nice, to, no way, are you kidding me? I've been blessed like that in an undeserving way many times and by some of the members of the very church that's listening to me now this morning. Being a preacher, no doubt, is demanding. And it's difficult for several reasons, but it is also a huge blessing for many, many more. The sportsmen have been blessed by members of our church family, both here and in the past, with meals that have been paid for, uh, memorials given for my family, money for dates, tickets to concerts, football games, opportunities to stay at lake houses, ranch houses, hunting privileges, all of that to name a few. We have been blessed immensely. And many of you have been tied to those blessings. And I'll say it again, nobody deserves to be blessed like that. One of the most extravagant gifts, however, we received came when we were given a timeshare close to Disney World in Orlando. It came from a couple from actually another church in Rudos, so the Grace Harvest Church. Bill and Ingrid Yates uh, were the couple, and Bill was an elder there. Well, their elders and ours studied the Holy Spirit back in 1990 for about three months together. They probably leaned towards the charismatic side of our a big family in Christ and so we wanted to hear from them people that we respected and knew and loved uh, how the Holy Spirit was working in their life and what they understood the Bible to be saying about it. It was amazing and we became close friends because of it. And one day Bill and Ingrid stopped by my office and said we want to make it possible for your family to go to Disney World and we think this might help. We have a timeshare that we're not going to be able to use and we want to offer it to you free of charge for a week. It's a two-bedroom suite has uh, three pools on the compound. It's 15 minutes from Disney World. We think you'll have a blast. Well, you're absolutely right. We did have a blast. But their uncommon generosity not only blessed my family, it also mentored my family. They were an example to us about how to use our blessings to bless others. And since then, God has enabled Gail and I to have opportunities to give to others some knock-your-socks-off gifts that went past, well, uh, that's nice. Right to, no way. And I just want to say this, Jesus is right. It is truly better to give than it is to receive. And this is coming from a guy who really likes receiving. Church, it's been two weeks since we celebrated the best gift anybody has ever received. Freedom from our sins that becomes ours when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. The empty tomb of Christ confirms for us the fact that the promise of Jesus can be trusted. The promise in John 3, verse 16, where he says that God so loved this world of his that he gave his son that whoever would place their trust in him would not perish but have everlasting life. The resurrection assures us that's true. But God doesn't stop at offering us a sunrise or a healthy body, food or clothing or shelter for those bodies or cars or healthy children or grandchildren. All of those are amazing blessings. Now, he goes right past those to giving us his son and allowing him to die on a cross for your sins and mine. 
and then raising him three days later, offering us a chance to live well now, but to live forever very, very soon. In a place that no eye has seen, in a place that no ear has heard, in a place that no mind has conceived for those who have been called according to his purpose, Paul says. That's uncommon generosity. That's uncommon grace. And while that comes free of charge, it isn't free of expectation. We saw that last week, didn't we? In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus told us about a fellow who experienced the uncommon generosity from his bank president. Bank president invited him in and said, I want, to, I want to wipe away your debt of gazillions. And he was overjoyed and he did that. But as soon as he left, he found a friend of his who owed him a couple of grand and demanded that he pay him back. Well, the bank president finds out about it, calls him back in, and he suffers greatly for it. The lesson was painfully simple. Jesus actually tells that story to Peter, who asks, Lord, how often am I supposed to forgive my brother? And Peter and the rest of us, after hearing that story, walk away knowing, because of uncommon forgiveness in our lives, God's asking us to offer uncommon forgiveness to those that need it from us. And we get that, right? All right, if you're tracking with me so far, turn to your couch neighbor, your cat, your dog, whoever, give them a big fight. I get that, all right? But for this morning, I want to show you what uncommon generosity is not only expected by God towards others when it has to do with mercy, but specifically what it has to do in the area of money. Before we do that, let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you this morning for our brothers that worship at Western Hills Baptist Church. Uh, we realize that you have put a call on their lives uh, just as similar to us, that we would go into this world and to lead ordinary people into an extraordinary relationship with you. That's more than just a mission statement you gave us. You gave it to all the body of Christ. And right now they're trying. Wherever they're taping their messages or offering their live streams, uh, they're trying to connect with other believers in their family so that we could uh, not only be unified, uh, but also that we would be fortified with your word and your spirit this morning uh, to truly go and be the examples that you're calling us to be in this uncommon grace you've poured out in our hearts. So please, bless myself, bless the minister who's preaching at Western Hills, and I just pray that in a, in a very significant way, this will make a difference in our lives and in your world. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said. You may say a lot of things about Jesus, but you can't say that he was greedy. He was so generous with his salvation, everyone noticed. Even those who aren't followers of Christ notice his generosity, notice his love for this world, because it was uncommon. It was uncommonly generous with his time. He was uncommonly generous with his healing spirit, with his love. He gave everything he had to everybody he met. He's interrupted by two guys who are fighting selfishly over who's going to get the best seat in heaven. And we remember Jesus saying, boys, 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 the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He told the woman who was thirsty to well one day, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never thirst. At his last meal with the disciples before he died, Matthew records that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Put simply, Jesus was always generous, and he was never greedy. It always makes me smile when people come to the doors of KCC and they say, you know what, there's just such joy here. Well, in part, it's because the people who are listening this morning 
and who are usually sitting right here in this auditorium are among some of the most generous people I have ever met in my life. And the reason is because we're finding out our greatest gift is in what we give. Our leader taught us that. That we're to leave this world in a better shape than we found it in. And he did so by giving his life as a ransom for many and then turning around and giving us the same mission, the same mandate, to give our lives away as a ransom for many. Now, brother or sister, if, if you don't take that mission on from Jesus, the world will give you one. It won't be go and make disciples. It'll be go and make a name for yourself. It'll be go and make some money. Now, Jesus has a problem with that mission. You need to know that. Because our value is not determined by our valuables. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 15, Jesus says this, Be on guard against all kinds of greed, because a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Some of you may be thinking, well, my, my neighbor thinks they do. Well, I get that. Because too often in my own life, the world has measured me by my valuables instead of my intrinsic value. And so it drives us almost compulsively at times, I think, to get more and more to keep up with the Joneses or the sportsmen's or the Pruitts. Now, Jesus has said nothing about it's terrible to enjoy your money. Never said things like that. It's terrible not to enjoy some of the things you've been blessed with in your life. Never said things like that. He just didn't want us worshiping money or the things that money could buy. Several weeks back, we started a series called Money Talks. And in it, we learned that Jesus talks about money a lot. As a matter of fact, almost one-fifth of all of his teachings are connected to money. Almost one-third of his parables deal with the subject of money. But while Jesus liked to talk to his followers about money, often we don't. We don't like it at all. As a matter of fact, surveys show preachers would rather talk about hell any day than rather talking about money. And your preacher would fall into that profile. Promise you. And the reason in part is that it almost leads some of you to think, this is a little self-serving, isn't it? Talking about our money might mean you get to see more of it, right? No. But I understand certain televangelists have unashamedly used the pulpit to make themselves rich. Which is why there are so many preacher jokes about money. Like the one told about the wealthy rancher who called the church office. Well, the secretary answered the phone and said, uh, the guy that didn't was on the phone said, I want to talk to the lead hog. The secretary says, now, if you mean our preaching minister, we would never refer to him so disrespectfully. And the rancher said, well, ma'am, I, I mean no harm. Simply know that your church has a building fund, and I wanted to give your church $200,000 for it. The secretary said, sir, you stay on the line. The big pig just walked in the door, and we'll talk to you real quick. I'm thrilled to say this message isn't based on any goal as far as money goes. Not for a building project, not for a missions goal. Now, this, this message is aimed at a tougher target. It's difficult to hit. This message is to help us take out greed. Because our master was known for never being greedy. And always being generous. Please hear me, friend. Learning from God, honoring money management is one of the most spiritual things you can ever do. We all need to protect our hearts from money lies. Which is why Jesus talks so much about money. See, Jesus knew that nothing had the potential to be a God substitute in this world like money does. Money can be a God more than anything else. Money will promise you security. Money will promise you identity. Money will promise you significance and happiness. But it can't deliver. At least not over the long run. Which is why Jesus said, you can't serve God and money. Here's the truth for you. 
you will give your heart. You will give your allegiance to whatever you think is the most potential influencer of giving you the best life. Let me say that again. You will give your heart. You will give your allegiance to whatever you think has the most potential to bless your life. And if you think that's money, that's where your heart's going to go. The Bible has a word for that. Idolatry. Idolatry is when you give first place to what ought to be second or even a less of a place. And Paul says it always leads to ruin. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 10, he says, The love of money causes all kinds of evil. Some people have even left the faith because they wanted to get more money. But what they received caused them more sorrow. Friend, Jesus never told anyone that the answer to their problems is to get a little bit more money. Never. No, what we need is more faith in the goodness of our God. And what we need is more conviction that He's going to provide all the good things that we need. And you see, you can't always protect your assets. We've learned that, haven't we? Jesus said there's moths and there's rust and there's thieves and there's pandemics. Maybe you needed to add to the list. That'll take that away. That'll absolutely destroy what you worked so hard to amass and to protect. Friends, I think you know by now, not just with this pandemic of COVID-19, but there's going to be some things out there you don't even know about or aware of that are outside your control that can absolutely take away everything that you hold dear as far as money goes. Now, you can't protect your assets, but you can protect your heart. How do you do that? You equip it to be generous rather than being greedy. Let me talk about four ways we can do that. Number one, you can be mindful of God's word in regards to money and possessions. That's where we start. To be mindful of some of the things Jesus says about money and possessions. Mark chapter 8 and verse 36 Jesus talks about God's priority in money. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his soul? In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 31, he talks about God's provision in regards to money. He says, don't worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? Our pagans run after those things. And your father knows you need them. But you seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these other things will be given to you as well. He also talks about God's past performance. Through the Apostle Paul, he writes in Romans 8, If God's for us, who in the world could be against us? He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give you all things? All things, friend. Please get a mind full of what belongs to the category of his past performance, but also in regards to what is God's people or God's property. I kind of went back and forth about what to label this. It actually is both for us. And here's why I say that. Because Paul says, you're not your own friend. You were bought with a price. Therefore, you glorify God with your body. But that means if you're in Christ, all that he, he's given you belongs to him. It's his. Now, practically, your name may be on that, but actually, it's his. You're not an entitled owner. You, my friend, are an entrusted steward. We looked at that a couple of weeks back. And as entrusted stewards, we're going to have to give account to the things he's entrusted us with. So I just want to say this. If you're not doing well with his money, please get some help. And right before this COVID-19 thing struck, we had 10, 12, 14 people signed up for the Dave Ramsey course. He is an excellent, excellent mentor, teacher about how to handle the things that God's blessed you with. And if right now you're up to your eyeballs in debt, 
if you're just living month to month, paycheck to paycheck, or maybe even behind the paychecks, please get some help. Because you may have wandered into debt. You may have wandered into a financial crisis, but I promise you this, you will not wander out. It takes great intent and great purpose. And this is a fellow who can help. He's helped us. So, if you want to beat greed, and if you want to be known as someone who is always generous, you start with putting a mind full of God's word in your mind about all the things that he's blessing us with. And number two, be grateful for it. That's not any easier either. Be grateful for his money. Be grateful for the possessions you do have. Because what I found out, it is hard to lust after more when you're lifting up thanks for what I've been given. Psalms 105 echoes this. David says, give thanks to the Lord. You call on his name and make known among the nations anybody who will listen what he's done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all of his wonderful acts. In 2 Corinthians 9-11, Paul says this. Friend, you will be enriched in every way. So you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your, generous, your generosity is going to result in thanksgiving to God. For the thankful heart shows greed the door. And thankful lips dead bolted out. There's a lot of talk about vaccine these days. I don't have one right now for COVID-19. But there is a vaccine for something that's even tougher and more deadlier than this virus. It's the pandemic of greed. You counter it with an antidote, an antidote of being mindful of his word, of being grateful for his provision, and number three, of being a generous giver of that provision. God wanted Israel to be an example of a lot of things when he brought them out of Egypt. Specifically, he called them to be a light for all of the nations of the world, and generosity was one of his primary points of light that he wanted to shine into the darkness. And so he promised, I am going to bless you big time. I'm going to lead you into a land of promise flowing with IBC root beer and Bill's barbecue. Well, actually, he said flowing with milk and honey, but that really doesn't resonate much with probably anybody. And so let's go with IBC root beer and Bill's barbecue. God's promised that he's going to bless our lives like he promised Israel. But when he gave them what they needed, he didn't just stop there. He went beyond. He was extravagant. He was outrageous, but he said, with that same extravagance, with that same outrageous heart, I want you to give back. And I want you to give generously. As a matter of fact, he commands, check my math on this, for the Israelites to set aside 23% of their income for his means. Let me explain. 10% of that was to go towards the taking care of the priests and those who assisted any, along the any lines of God taking care of the spiritual needs of his people. They were a select tribe of people called the Levites. You know that. How generous were they to be? He commanded, bring 10% of your earnings every year to take care of those who are helping take care of your spiritual needs. A request that came with a promise. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10, he says, Now, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, test me. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store in your house. God said, bring a tenth of your income every year and bless those who serve me on my behalf. And then, this is one that probably doesn't get talked about a lot. He said, bring another 10%, set it aside for a family vacation. Every year, God said, Israel set aside some serious bank for a blowout trip. Now, when I say that, you need to think Christian camp meeting. 
like we had at Mount Fumi Fellowship or maybe at Red River in Canada or something that you've been to where just a lot of Christians gather together to have a great time over the weekend or maybe the week. Only in this case, alcohol is allowed. I'm telling you the truth. Deuteronomy chapter 14, here's what the Bible says. Set apart a tithe of all the yield of your seed that is brought in yearly from the field in the presence of the Lord your God in the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. You will eat that tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil as well as the firstlings of your herd and flock, so that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. But if when the Lord has blessed you, the distance is so great that you're unable to transport all of that, because the place where the Lord will call you is too far away from you, then you may turn that into money. And with that money, you secure in hand, go to the place that the Lord will choose, and you spend that money for whatever you wish, oxen and sheep, Wine, strong drink, whatever you desire. Now, I know some of you are saying, who's like that in the Bible? Uh, sign me up for that. I told you you need to read your Bible more. Then there was a third tithe that was to be taken, but this time it was only taken every third year. That's where the 23% comes in. 3% every year on average. It was a tithe to be given to the widows and the orphans and the immigrants that lived among Israel. Here's what the scripture says at the end of every third year. Everyone should bring one-tenth of that year's crop and store it in your towns. This is for the Levites so that they may eat and be full. They have no land among you for their own. It's also for the strangers and orphans and widows who live in your towns so that all of them may eat and be full. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all the work that you do. 23% of an annual earning was to be set aside for God's purposes. Some of those purposes was to take care, again, of those who help take care of spiritual needs among Israel's people. Another 10% was for a blowout family vacation. And another 3% was to take care of those who struggle with taking care of themselves. You say, well, Jimmy, is this principle in the New Testament? Yes and no. In the days of the early church, the people would bring their gifts to the apostles and they would put them at their feet for the leadership to decide what to do with them. Does he give specific amounts that he once brought in? No. He just left an example of what he expected when his people served under law. No, he's not operating under that type of covenant anymore. This one's more, hear me, demanding. Under the new covenant, he says, I want you to give, not 23%, I want you to give like I gave you. Everything. And he went and died on the cross. A little bit more than 23%. He said, well, good, Jim. As long as you're not saying that we got to give 10% to the church. Because that's just sounding too legalistic to me and I'm not a legalist. Well, okay, don't give 10%. Give 11%. Give 12%. Give 15%. Because anybody who reads the New Testament seriously can see that the teaching of Jesus didn't relax the commandments that Israel already been given. If anything, he intensified it. Need a couple examples? Jesus said, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. Well, I'm telling you, don't even look lustfully at a woman. Because if you do, that is adultery. He said, you've heard it said to love your friends and hate your enemies. No, I'm telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. Brother, this steward can't look God in the face when I've been asked to give account of how I've handled his money and say that I, I just didn't feel like I needed to give more than the poorest Jew in Israel before Christ and before a cross. In an empty On average, those who tally things like this say that the average Christian gives about 2.5% of their earnings every year to the church if they contribute anything. No wonder we struggle with greed so much. Sister Israel is not God's chosen agency. 
to advance the kingdom of God anymore. The churches. Many of you would not know Jesus today if it were not for the mission of the church that's blessed your life, funded by men and women who sacrificed and loved Jesus enough to contribute to that church. Brother, I honestly believe that Jesus, who's the head of the church, expects you to financially support the body you get spiritually fed in. This is the church where you bring your kids. This is the church where you get encouragement and nourishment in your fellowship. How can you not give it in return? Is there a similar promise attached to your giving that Malachi, the prophet, gave to Israel? Yes. Here's what Jesus said. Give and you will receive. You will be given much, pressed down, shaken together, running over, I'm telling you, spilling into your lap. The way that you give to others is the way that God is going to give to you. He said, did you mean, what if I don't give anything? Well, the truth is, some don't. Robert Moore, Gateway Church in Dallas, put it well. When he said, some Christians eat a meal every week. And then skip out on the chat. Some people don't give anything. You do not have to give to come to this church. I promise you that. The Christ Church exists for you to come to because somebody's given. Gail and I personally tie to advance the work of Jesus' kingdom here in this place. But what I'm finding is that when I am obedient with that, or when I'm gracious for that, or when I, I give back to God that amount, His kingdom advances in me. It helps to keep greed in check as well. Number four, be mindful of what God's Word says about possessions. Be grateful for what He has blessed us with. Be a generous giver with what He's provided you with. And then number four, be a mentor of generosity to others. All of those together help counteract or an antidote for the greed in our lives that wants to rear its ugly head almost every day. He doesn't want us to just practice generosity. He wants us to model the church. And you can start with the examples of Scripture from the early church. Have you noticed the New Testament is full of celebrating the generosity testimonies of the early days of the church? Barnabas sells a field, and he brought it to the apostles to use for the work of the church, and they renamed him for that. Changed his name to Son of Encouragement for what he gave monetarily. Paul, in a letter to the Corinthians, says, Let me tell you what some awesome churches in Macedonia are doing in supporting the church in Jerusalem. You need to keep up, church at Corinth. Do you know why he's doing that? Do you know why God loves a cheerful giver? Because cheerful givers spread cheer. <laughs> a church in Stephenville, Texas, has heard, gotten wind of, has seen even on video, uh, the cheer that we got to experience whenever on um, Grace Bomb, 9-11, we went down to El Braceros and um, yeah, ate a meal there that night. Great Mexican food. But then the laughter and the fun of having the whole staff line up in front of us and then hand them each Envelopes with $300 a piece in it, unbeknownst to them, absolutely by surprise. It was a huge joy bomb, a huge grace bomb for us as well as for them. And others are hearing about that, and they want in on it. And so we've taken a video of what took place there, and we're putting words to it, and we're sending out to those who make requests of it. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Because cheerful givers spread cheer. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says this, in the same way, I want you to be strong in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you to give, but I want to see if your love is true by comparing you with others that really want to help. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know that Christ was rich, but for you he became poor, so that by his becoming poor, you might become rich. Now, does that describe you? It can. If you'll have a mind full of God's truth about money, if you'll have a thankful heart 
for all that you have, if you'll begin to practice biblical level generosity, and it can happen even for your kids if you show them. And by the way, if you don't want your kids to be greedy, you're going to have to teach them generosity, just like you had to teach them how to be responsible, just like you taught them how to be respectful and reverent. Now, like most good habits, those things are not just taught, they're caught. Now, if you don't teach them, culture will. If they don't learn from you to drink the Kool-Aid of grace that Jesus drank, they will drink the Kool-Aid of the culture of greed, that it's all about me. And I'm asking you, please don't let the culture put chains in your kids. So the Bible warns parents, encourages parents in Ephesians 6.4, raise your children with the training and the teaching of the Lord. Now, I don't have what that says to you, but it says to me, if one of every six things Jesus said was tied to money, it's impossible to bring up our kids in the care and instruction of the Lord and never talk about money. So please, Dad, please, Mom, please find an age-appropriate way to teach your children how to be uncommonly generous. From the first time that our girls received money for the extra chores they did around the house, we told them, Mommy and Daddy, Take the money that God's given us, and we set aside 10 cents to give back to God. And we set aside 10 cents to put in a savings account for our retirement. And we've learned to live off 80. And we want to encourage you to do the same thing. Don't have to. We want to encourage you to do the same. Some people call that the 10-10-80 plan. We didn't have a name for it. We just saw it on an A.L. Williams brochure when someone was trying to talk to us about investments. Passed on the investments, but on the pattern for life, on the principle for life, and we dove in. At the time we were 22, 23 years old. And I can't tell you how much that's blessed a sportsman's life. It's been huge. Did it lead to raising perfect kids? No. Uh, did it lead to kids who handle money perfectly? No. But both of our girls have been incredibly responsible with their money. And incredibly generous. Now it started. More and more people are given to the mission of the Lord's church with automatic drafts. It has little to do with cash. It has little to do with checks. We've been working now here at KCC to improve the way that our online giving works. Um, we've tried in the past, not so good. We're doing better. But as more and more give online, some of your kids are not going to see you putting money in the plate. And so how will they know how important it is to give back to the Lord, to give to the Lord's what's His, if you don't talk about it? Parents, please do not pass on wealth to the next generation if you don't also give them the wisdom Deliver. God made the first move in generosity. Let me close this way. And Christianity is founded on an act of scandalous, illogical giving. It's because grace isn't logical, folks. It's crazy. And people whose hearts have been changed by grace find themselves wanting to do what seems to be absurd for others. A widow with two coins left will go to the temple and give it to God, and Jesus will watch her and not tell her to stop. A single woman that had no social security safety net took her savings, life savings, that were in a, in a jar of perfume, opened that jar up, and poured it all out on Jesus. And he didn't tell her to stop. Now, some people who criticized her, he did tell to stop. And then he went on to say this in Mark 14, 9. I tell you the truth that wherever God's good news is preached throughout this world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. Why? It's a big deal. Because she was a living illustration about the absurdity of God's uncommon grace. And friend, I just want to say this. God wants you to steward your money in a way that reflects that. I don't know what it looks like for you. You may not have known what it looks like for me. 
It's not important that we all do exactly the same thing when it comes to, to sharing how God's grace has impacted our lives with our lens. But you're going to be given a chance, sometimes, somewhere, to be outlandish with the provision God's given you. Rather than trading in your car, you're going to give it to a single mom who needs it more. Your response with the money that you've been saving for uh, a pool is going to be put towards an orphanage in Africa who needs it more. Now, that doesn't make sense if you're a citizen of the empires of this world. But it makes total sense if your first allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Last story. A few years ago, a Christian couple by the name of Mansfield befriended a homeless man by the name of Garland. It was in a park behind their deli where every day they made sure that he had something to eat. Their store was robbed. And the police assumed that Garland had done it because they found a basket that usually was on display in the Mansfield store in his tent. There with the officers and Garland, in Les Mis fashion, the Mansfield said, No, we sold that basket to Garland. They punched a button and opened up their cash register and said, We owe him some money, as a matter of fact. $38.67. He gave us a 50, and we owe him that money. And so they gave him his change. And he left. Well, three days later, Garland died. And a few months after that, a lawyer called and said, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Medfield, Garland left everything that he owns in his little travel bag to you. A sack of birdseed, a Bible, and a bank book. In fact, he said, the last deposit in the bank book was for $38.67, which brings the total to over $3 million. The bank book was inside the Bible, and it marked a verse in Matthew chapter 25 that was underlined that simply said this, I was hungry, and you fed me. I do not believe in the prosperity gospel. So I'm not saying that if you are generous, God's going to throw a whole lot of money at you. But in every story that I see in Scripture, where there's a manager of money talked about, and the manager has to leave and he comes back, he always finds the servant and asks him to give account of what he was put in charge of. And if that manager has taken care of what he's been entrusted with, always there's this statement or something like it, well done, good and faithful steward. Now receive your reward and enter into your master's joy. Two questions. Don't you want to hear those words? I do. Second question. How common in your life are people who give outrageously? I mean wildly, audaciously outrageously. They're not very common in life, but you can be one of them. God made sure you will get everything you need to be generous. That's common in his family. But what's uncommon is that people actually give it away. So what do you say? Let's live uncommonly generous lives for our uncommonly generous Lord. Father in heaven, we do ask that you enable us to do that. We can't do that on our own. There's too, too strong a temptation to be greedy. Your son was never greedy. He was always generous. So please, we're asking you, through the power of your spirit, not for more, but that you'll help us be thankful more, that you'll help us give away more, and that you'll help us teach our kids more about how to be uncommon, generous. Through Christ we pray, and everybody said.